0: coming to you from classic city the capital of the bulldog nation it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard georgia fans in the country here are your hosts
1: tyler and charlie
0: what's up guys welcome back to another edition of the glory uga podcast i'm tyler and today after two long months although it feels much longer than that Everything feels much longer in the age of the coronavirus, but we are welcoming back my other co-host, Charlie, to help close out part two of the April mailbag. She's been MIA for the past couple of months because, to be honest, she just didn't have the requisite recording equipment at home and with the whole shelter-in-place deal and being, uh, really, her just being such a good little rule follower She wasn't able to come over to the studio and record any episodes, but I am really, really glad to have her back on the show today with the expiration of the Georgia shelter in place order. So, Charlie, 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 it's so good to see you alive and well. How's quarantine life been for you? You surviving, obviously, kind of?
1: I'm surviving, but I'm over it.
0: You kind of are over it. That was the vibe I got when I talked to you today. It's like, yeah, I don't think she's going to be able to take this much longer, so... Hopefully for your sake and everyone else's sake, this is uh, we're gonna continue on the process of reopening and all of that good fun stuff. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, how's it? I mean, you're alive and well. That's step one. But like, how bad has it been for you? Like, you're like some of those people that are, like ready to just like go ahead and die right now, or have you been yeah, able to
1: ready to die. Um, I'm bored. Well, some
0: people are like, equating shelter in life, shelter in place, and being like the precipice of death.
1: Okay. Well, no, I wouldn't say that, but I am bored. I'm.
0: You know only what they say the only boring store. people get bored
1: i I'm okay with being boring that's fine I only go to the grocery store on Friday morning. It's pretty much the only place I go It's very boring <laughs> um take a lot of walks in the neighborhood around town working
0: out for about three hours a day
1: you know you would hope that you did that, but I don't
0: I've actually had some of the best workouts of my life not me sure I don't like do. I was panicking not being able to go to the gym but like now that I've kind of figured out how to do it without the gym, I don't know if I'm going back, man.
1: Oh, well, that's good. I don't know.
0: I don't know. No. Save a little cash. I just
1: get bored having to work out at home. And I yeah. still wake up really early like I'm going to work. So then I just have really long days where I'm wishing it was bedtime sometimes.
0: Well, see, for for a guy like me who gets the summers off anyway, it, it's kind of just been like an extended summer. Like, I'm not really doing anything all that different other than like not being able to go to downtown Athens and go to my normal places and that kind of, and not being able to travel like, it hasn't been all that much different from just like a, a normal summer for me. I know for people who aren't used to having extended time off like that, it's been a little bit more confusing and frustrating and difficult, but it hasn't been that bad to me.
1: Well, from your wife, I know that you're very good at um, <laughs> making things take time and, you know, What my that, wife calls
0: dilly daddling.
1: Yeah, she does call it that. Yes. It's quite funny. Um, but ah, yeah, she says stuff. you don't wake up until, you know, 9, 30, 10.
0: Yeah, like, that's know. true. That's why would I well, get it before just then? You're
1: very good at making things last. Like you'll look at your phone.
0: I don't look at my phone. I am learning. I am learning a foreign language right now. All right. I am taking this time to actually improve myself. I'm learning Spanish. I'm basically a Spanish speaker right now.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. Maybe your next podcast could be in Spanish.
0: ¿Cuántos años tienes?
1: Tango, <laughs> um, <laughs> treinta y.
0: Cuatro años. Oh, what answer you Though. All right, right, sorry. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants no, to hear that. Sorry, my don't. bad. Uh, but all right, so I'm glad that you're alive. I'm glad that you're like, I guess, bored at the worst. So that's always good news. I know there's a lot of people out there that are a lot worse shaped than us, and we are certainly thinking about all of them and know everyone's doing well. But um, all right. So Curtis and like uh, Curtis and I, we answered the first batch listener questions for the April mailbag last week. And Charlie, you are here. You're going to help me answer the rest of the questions today. I know it's technically not April anymore. I I know we're officially in in May. Like it's hard to believe. Like this started like really. I know I said this at the outset. It started what mid mid March, right?
1: I started sheltering in place on March 14th because it was two days after my birthday.
0: Oh wow! I'll well, just tell everybody about the yourself. world
1: started to come to an end on my birthday. It actually
0: really did. I People remember.
1: were not texting me about happy birthday. It was oh my gosh!
0: Did you? I see remember this on you the news? were you were out with your family. I think your parents, your husband, uh, for and maybe your sister too for your birthday dinner, right? Yes. On on your birthday, I think, and then you texted me and you're like, "There's no one." It was like a normal, regular night. Like, what was that? Like a, Wednesday ish night, maybe? Yeah. I think that's when that all on went Thursday, down, right? Because we were those. watching conference tournaments. Yeah. I was watching conference tournaments. Nobody was out. Yeah, and you're like, this is weird. And I was like, uh, okay. And that was, I think that was the night where they, they came out, the NBA was like, yeah, we have, Rudy Gobert has coronavirus and we're everything. And that's like when the whole world started to end. So it's basically your fault. Yep. It's basically your fault. Yeah, but anyway, so Charlie's back and we're, uh, I know it's not April anymore. Seems like it's been going on for so long. But it's really only been like two months. I uh, think really two months, but uh, these questions did come in for the April mailbag, so that's what we're calling is part two of the April mailbag, and Charlie, if you are ready, enough with the dilly-daddling, which apparently I'm really good at, Let's, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, hand the hosting duties over to you for the rest of the show, and uh, yeah, take it away.
1: All right, our first question comes from Jeff. He said that you and Curtis discussed your thoughts on the likelihood that we would have a 2020 college football season when the first shut. I can see I can't even read. It's been a long time. Or speak properly. A 2020 coronavirus season, has nothing to do
0: with your ability to read. You just I can't know, read. I know I'm an idiot. It's okay, no, um, you're not when an idiot. the
1: shutdown first started. So now we're almost two months in, and many states across America are starting the process of reopening. Where do you stand on the possibility of a 2020 college football season now, and what do you think the setup will be if there is a season?
0: Okay, and just a a heads up, we are going to spend more time discussing these first two questions because they kind of just lend themselves to deeper discussions, and, and that's why we have them up first. So just a heads up there, but as to this question, power of positive thinking, let's go. Actually power of neutral thing is really where you have to be with this thing but if you look honestly if you look at all the data and all the pronouncements coming out kind of leaking out over the past couple of weeks honestly and maybe this is me just being an optimist and that's fine if, if it is I I am well in most ways I'm an optimist except for Georgia football then I just assume the worst is going to happen but anyway I, I I think there's a lot of positive momentum to give us confidence that a 2020 football season is going to happen and if you really just follow the, the public pronouncements. So even just the past week, most recently, there's been a number of like higher-ranking officials that have come out and, and made comments that would seem to suggest there is a lot of positive momentum in the direction of us potentially having a 2020 college football season. Our own president, Jerry Moorhead, said uh, on, I think it's WGAU, is it a local Athens radio station here late last week, he said, quote, our hope at this point, our expectation at this point is that we'll have a normal football season and be able to play all of our games. Certainly, he goes beyond that. He says, certainly our hope and expectation is that we'll have fans in the stands and we'll have our players here at some point during the month of July. Now, um, that's Jerry Moorhead. That's our, the president of the university. Then you have Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, also late last week coming out and saying, quote, my focus is on, is on football as scheduled. And on top of that, like you have actual real action. You don't just have these pronouncements. You have a number of schools throughout really the nation, but especially the SEC, that have uh, said they plan on reopening for in-person classes in the fall, which, oh, by the way, the University of Georgia is one of those institutions. And that's certainly a very key indicator regarding the possibility of football season because without the universities being open, I don't see it happening. Uh, they, basically, university uh, presidents and ADs told Mike Pence that when they were on that conference call with him a couple weeks back. Um, but if you look at some of the universities that are open, you've got uh, the SEC, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Missouri, a have already said they plan on opening uh, for uh, full go in-person classes on campus in the fall. You've got Iowa, who's basically said they're starting football practice on June 1st. Uh, Purdue also in the Big 10. You've, in, the, in the Big 12, you also have a number of institutions. You've got Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Okie State tcu texas tech west virginia out west you got a couple of schools not the california schools because honestly i'm not sure the california schools charlie i'm not sure they're going to be open until maybe 2027 <laughs> at the rate things are going right now with what gavin newsom i mean god bless them and they're they're being cautious and i get that there's a lot of fear out there and, and a lot of it's very reasonable uh, but at some level it's like wow california i don't know what's going but on over there in
1: three weeks we might be the ones that are really screwed over
0: I mean, we don't know. We maybe, I know. maybe. Like, and that—that's that, the thing. With this whole conversation, is no one knows. Like, I, I would say where we are right now, looking at the data over the past couple weeks, and what people are saying, and what universities are doing, or saying they plan on doing. There's positive momentum now. Certainly, there could be a backside if there's a resurgence in cases, a spike in cases, and all that kind of stuff with the reopening. That could certainly happen. Uh, but right now, I think there's some, there's some positive momentum. And Another thing I think was really really interesting, and actually I think bodes very well uh, for the idea, that at least that we are preparing to have a 2020 football season that starts on time. If uh, another thing on top of the announcements are the the, pr- the pronouncements from Sankey and Moorhead, and Greg McGarrity himself even said uh, as well, uh, according to Seth Emerson, that we were going to have that he's planning on having the football season start on time. But the SEC, the conference itself, extend now they did extend in-person recruiting restrictions through July 31st. So basically you can't have recruits on campus recruiting through the month of July, okay, whatever. Um, but at the exact same time, in the same announcement, they opted to point out that this time they are they are opting to not extend the ban on all uh, on-campus athletic-related activities beyond May 31st, which is what it was already uh, put at, and they have not extended that. They could have done that, but they chose not to, which I think is a very, very strong sign about us uh, starting to get players back on campus here over the next month or two and start getting ready for a 2020 football season Uh, and then you had uh actually i was just talking to my dad about this uh you have arkansas athletic director hunter urecheck came out today earlier today he told his board of trustees that they plan on having players back for strength and conditioning and voluntary workouts starting june 1st like less than a month from now with uh with the plan to start practice in mid july and i think a quote that i saw from that from the arkansas democrat was quote we have a really good chance of starting our football season on time. So, Charlie, you're right. Like, We could have a setback. Uh, things are definitely very fluid. There's still hurdles to overcome. Uh, we have a number of the SEC institutions that have already said they're, they're going to do in, uh, on-campus, in-person instruction starting the fall. But we need to get all universities in the SEC to announce that they are doing that on the same page. Um, and then also, I think also you have to have testing capacity. That seems to be a big one. I think that really has to be increased, and we're starting to see that more and more. Like I'm not a doctor, a scientist, or a reporter, or anything. but if you just look at the testing numbers in the United States, we're certainly, now we're not where we need to be, but we're increasing that almost on a daily basis, so I think for all those reasons, there's a, a, some positive momentum there, and here's what I will, I, I can't tell you guys, I can't guarantee anything, but I'll say this, I feel extremely confident that at the very least, the SEC is playing college football this fall. Uh, I'm not as confident in some of the other conferences, particularly the Pac-12, uh, because as we were talking with California, California is the big hangout with the Pac-12, uh, and that's a big portion of, of, of that conference. Uh, some of those West Coast governors and politicians, they seem to be a little bit more resistant to reopening things, and their situations might be a little more, just a little different. And there are regions in the country that have been uh, hit much harder than the Southeast by the virus, obviously the Northeast. Um, but the SEC, I'm telling you, man— they I, I don't want to guarantee it, but I, mean, I feel very confident the SEC is playing college football. And I'm also pretty darn confident the Big 12 is going to play as well, because more than half of their schools have already announced that they plan on having in-person instruction during the fall. So if that's the case, if it's going to be a conference-by-conference conference thing, which I think Greg uh, has, has said something to that effect, Greg Sankey says something to that effect, like, hey... All the conferences might not be in alignment on what this might look like in the fall. So that would seem to suggest there's a possibility. I know it's not the, the, uh, the goal. The goal would be to have a normal college football season with all conferences. But there's at least a possibility, if you can't get every conference on the same page and all aligned, that individual conferences kind of just play their own season and then have a, name a conference champion. And then maybe among the teams or the conferences who do play, maybe have some sort of playoff. I don't know what it would look like. But, um, you know, I feel pretty strongly that the SEC, really strongly the SEC is playing, and I feel pretty strongly the Big 12 is going to play uh, as well. Um, and and I, the reason, and I talked about this when we first broached this subject a month and a half ago, the reason I believe so strongly that we're going to have college football in, in some capacity this year is quite simply because of the financial repercussions of not playing this season are borderline cataclysmic for college athletics, uh, especially those non-revenue-producing sports outside of football. Uh, I know this has kind of become the cliche talking point, but I told you guys when this whole lockdown deal started in mid-March before it became a cliche talking point uh, among the national media, I, I told you guys this, and I, I, I don't think people were listening. No, People were still in shock, but I, my first thought was if we don't play college football, there there might not be college sports for the rest of the, of the calendar year because you're not going to be able to fund the rest of those programs that don't produce uh, any sort of revenue, so uh, to me, uh, the financial realities of college athletics just simply dictate that football simply must be played if the university, if the universe of college athletics is going to be salvaged to any degree, and that's why I'm also um, confident, that even some of the universities and conferences and some of the states that might be a little bit more reticent to open the college campuses and, and commit to playing college football in the fall, I think ultimately they're going to end up biting the bullet and find a way to make this happen. Because here's what's going to happen, guys. This is what, what I'm seeing down the road. I, I could be wrong, but this is kind of what I'm trying to project down the road. Um, if you have all these conferences like the SEC and Big 12, so these if, if just a couple of the conferences plan on playing, and you're one of those conferences that, that's going to decide to sit out this season, then your athletic programs may never, ever catch back up. I mean, just to illustrate this point to you guys, uh, because it's become so popular to, to, to say, but you don't see a lot of people giving you the actual numbers. But let me ex- explain to you like actual financial data on why it's so critical for these universities to play college football this year. In 2018, we're going to use that one year. 2018 is the, the most recent year I could find all the numbers. In 2018, our entire athletic department at the University of Georgia, our expenditures totaled uh, basically $134 million. It was like $133,941,000. So we're gonna say $134 million, all right? Just to round it up because I can't do the other math. Um, now, our total operating revenue was $176 million, okay? So out of that $176 million in operating revenue, our football revenues totaled $129 million. You guys know math ain't my thing. I say it all the time, but I can do that math. So basically, if you want, we had 176 million in operating revenue. 129 million of that was football revenue. So we had 47 million dollars in non-football revenue. Which without the football revenue, um, that means we had 134 million dollars in expenditures for all the various athletic programs, which would have amounted to roughly 87 million, uh, an 87 million dollar deficit. And most programs aren't even as in as good of shape as we are financially. So when I say not playing college football is cataclysmic for college athletics, that is what I'm talking about. Exceedingly few athletic departments can afford to, to not play college football and still be able to fund their various programs. It's just not financially possible. It's just not. So if you are one of those programs or conferences that decides to sit out the 2020 season, then you are... Absolutely, 100% foregoing literally a hundred million plus dollars in revenues for a lot of these schools. That will all that's going to serve to do is it's going to expand the gap between you and the SEC and and the Big 12. Uh, that gap is going to expand into a canyon that you might not ever be able to close. So I think that is going to pressure a lot of these other conferences and universities and governors and athletic directors and presidents, I think it's also going to pressure them into playing. I think you're going to see like a domino effect. Once a couple conferences come out and say openly, hey, yeah, we're playing. And then I think the other conferences, it might not be immediately, but over a short period of time, I think they're going to start saying, well, I guess we got to play because if we don't, we might as well be a, a group of five conference moving forward. We're not going to be able to be there financially. So, yes, I think conference football is going to be played. The next question becomes, and this might be the bigger question now, what does it look like how is it going to be structured so you have um, there's some momentum gaining for like the normal start time now charlie i know you and i were talking about this a little bit when you first came came in here today into the studio you are still not completely sold that we're going to start on time
1: i don't know i thought we would have one then i don't think we'll have one i don't know
0: you've kind of gone back and forth on this i know uh, no
1: point in predicting it in my opinion unless it's just for fun well, that's kind of what, what we're doing here.
0: Do. That's right. kind of what we're doing here. But I mean, I, I think there's more momentum being gained for for a, a normal start time than like I'm more optimistic about that than I was say a month and a half ago. Like I, when I first talked about this about a month and a half ago, I thought we would have a delayed start. Um, but as the numbers, uh, the nuke daily case numbers, the death numbers continue to drop across the United States, and kind of we continue on the backside of this coronavirus curve, I'm starting to think that this is becoming more and more of a reality. Uh, and again, I was very skeptical of that late you know, late March, early April, but I'm starting to to feel more like that's a possibility and maybe like the prime possibility right now. Um, For the reasons I've already said, you know, colleges announcing plans to be open for on-campus instruction. You got prominent figures in the college football world openly talking about starting on time. You got new serology data coming out. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor, but if you just read some of these these reports suggesting that far more people have had the coronavirus than have officially been reported, which is which is great news from like an immunity, a potential immunity standpoint, and in dramatically lowering the death rate of this deal. So I think that's gonna open up the possibility that we can still kind of in some capacity live our lives with, with some reasonable precaution. Now, this is you were talking about this the other day, Charlie. Your big concern was if we start on time, what if we have that spike in like the late fall, right? Yep. I, I don't, and, and then that's a possibility. So like, that's the con of starting in, in on Labor Day weekend like we normally do. You might have to pause late in the season if there's a spike in cases when you, when you get to the flu season. Will every conference be on board by that point? I, those are questions you have to answer and I don't know. But I'm starting to feel more confident that this is going to be what at least most universities are going to be shooting for. Um, then you have uh, the potential for delayed start where, and this is what I was kind of talking about you know, a month and a half ago where, Maybe you push the season back a month or so, you cut down some of the number of games, or you just extend the season, you cut out bye weeks. I don't know how you do that. Uh, there's a couple of different alternatives there. But the cons for me there would be that that would probably in- indicate that you're probably only doing conference games only, which is fine. That's better than nothing, but I would prefer to have a regular season. I think there's some scheduling issues related to, to delaying the start and cutting off the number of games that you're going to play. Um, but, I, you know, I, I still think this is a realistic possibility, because, but that. We could have some sort of delayed start, but again, the momentum seems to be moving towards trying to start the season on time. Uh, For a while there, there seemed to be some momentum building for like a winter start, like starting in January. Charlie, if that is ultimately what we ended up doing, like starting starting in January, how would you feel about that? Would you be down with that?
1: I mean, it's better than nothing, but...
0: You hate the cold.
1: But then you're starting it when it's... But you're
0: in the flu season it's
1: gonna be the same
0: like what is the difference between finishing in late november early december and starting in in early january like what is the difference there's to me like you're still in the flu season so i don't i never i mean i get that i think that the reason behind that was most universities will at least be open for the spring semester. So you're going to start then, and I get that to a degree. But there's all sorts of issues with a winter start. It's still during flu season. The TV contracts would be a mess because if, if college basketball is being played during that time and you got college football being played during that time, like what's going to be on what channel at what time? There's some major television conflicts there. Uh, and you're going to end late April, early May, and, and then maybe start the 2021 season three or four months later. Like, How can you say with a straight face that you care about player safety when you're giving them very little time? To actually have their bodies recover, and then you have a lot of the top players that aren't going to play if it starts in, the, in 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 the winter like that because they're going to got to get ready for the NFL draft. And I know some people are saying, well, the NFL well, like they would be, they would be willing to push back their draft and push back their uh, uh, their mini camps and stuff to, to accommodate the college football. And I said, no, they wouldn't. Like, why would the NFL do that? I don't I don't buy that. Maybe they would. I just I wouldn't believe that until I saw that. And then the other option that you've heard some about is like it's kind of what you were talking about, Charlie. Like if there's a spike in cases, you have a split season where. You start in the fall, but when you get to the flu season, you just pause the season, hit the pause button, and then you start back in, like, March. So, basically, you'd have, like, a five-month layoff between the season. I just... To me, that sounds insane. Again, I guess that's better than nothing, but to me, that would be way, way, way down the list of alternatives, because if you do that, like, you would be in a situation where you could have certain players for half the season in the fall, but then if those guys are going to the NFL, you might not have them when you restart the season in the spring. So, again, better than nothing, but I, I would... Try to go other routes before uh, I did that. Uh, fans are fans going to be in the stands? I, that's where I, I don't know, man. That's that comes down. I think that's going to be an institutional decision. The president's got to be on board. Um, the trustees got to be on board. The athletic director's got to be on board. The players themselves have to be on board with that. Uh, I think the, the 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 state health departments, the governors, the politicians have to be on board. So there's a lot of different groups that have to be on board there. Um, I could see a situation where it's like a conference by conference thing or a state by state thing where some states say, yeah, we're going to have in-person games, play, play, fans can come. And some states might say no. Um, and that was stuff for the, for the programs that are in states where you can't have fans because you, your, home field advantage is gone. Or maybe you just don't play in those states and you play. I don't, I don't know how that would work, but I think I feel more optimistic about fans being in the stands now than I did at any point over the last month and a half, uh, as we've seen some of the new data come out and some of the, uh, the pronouncements. So I don't know. Uh, I, I Any of these alternatives or possibilities, depending on how things develop with the coronavirus, Charlie's right. We have no idea that's going to play out. I mean, do we develop effective treatments over the next few months? I think that'll be a big deal. Uh, As Charlie was saying, is there a spike in new cases as states across the country start to reopen? That's very possible. Uh, What does the testing situation look like? Can we get to enough testing capacity where we feel confident getting players and fans out in the same place together? Uh, But again, I guess what I would say is one thing I do feel confident saying is that there's going to be a college football season in 2020, or a 2020 college football season. I mean, it might be a 2021 college football season. I don't know. In this academic calendar year, I guess is what I would say, in some shape or form. I don't know what it will look like. I'm starting to feel more and more confident that we're going to try to get this in uh, starting at a normal time. But uh, there's so many moving parts to this. We'll just have to see. But I am way more optimistic than I was a month and a half ago.
1: Our next question is from Jermaine. This question involves Tennessee and says, Tennessee has been on a heck of a recruiting run this week by adding a bunch of four- and five-star prospects. So in the long term, is Tennessee a greater threat to us than Florida?
0: Knoxville, Tennessee. Charlie, your favorite town. You love you some Knoxville. Mm. No, you don't love Knoxville. You just like going there for games. Yes. Yes, okay, I get that. Uh, But anyway, Tennessee – yeah, they 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 had a good week in recruiting. Got to give them credit. They they had a good week in recruiting. Got a number of good players. And of course, you know, as as they are prone to do, when any like remote good news comes their way, because there hadn't been much good news for them over the past twenty years or so. Uh, their fan base is out there beating their chest uh, over moving up to number three right now in the twenty twenty recruiting rankings. But come on, guys, like those of you who are like me follow this stuff religiously, like you know that's laughable. It's just laughable at this point. Uh, the recruiting rankings, the first week of May. They just mean very, very little. We're so far away from the end of this cycle right now. The rankings are more about, honestly, how many prospects you have committed, as opposed to the quality of those prospects. And once the big boys catch up in total number of commitments, I can guarantee you this: Tennessee ain't going to be number three in the team rankings. Heck, they, they might be. They might not even be in the top ten. I, I would say they're probably a fringe top ten team when it's all said and done in terms of the uh, the twenty twenty one recruiting rankings. Because the fact is. Here's how it works, guys. I know most of you guys follow recruiting, so you know this. But for those of you who might not follow as closely, uh, the fact is most of the highly rated prospects, they take their commitments much longer out in the process because they can. Everyone wants... They have leverage. like Everyone wants those guys. So like almost every school will save those guys a spot until the very end. And that's just not the case for low-rated three-star prospects who often feel like they have to commit much earlier in the process in order to save a spot in the class And coaches just, they just, it's all about leverage. They have more leverage over those kind of guys and also often pressure them into making early decisions. So if you're a program that's taking a high number of those lower rated guys, those two and three star guys, then yeah, early on in the process, your recruiting ranking numbers are going to be inflated because you are pressuring those guys into going ahead and taking spots. You have the leverage over them to go ahead and commit and get their spot. In this class, Uh, and and, I mean, let's take a closer look at at this 2021 Tennessee recruiting class. Just let's just take a look at it. They currently have 17 commitments. That's why they're ranked so high. But here's the thing: their average player rating is only 89.26. And with 17 commitments and a hard 25 cap, there's ain't much room for improving that average player rating unless, I mean, I I guess unless they just start Billy bobbing more than half their class, which I guess could happen. But if you look at it for comparison's sake. We are ranked currently number 16 in the 247 composite recruiting rankings. But while Tennessee has 17 commitments, we only have seven. But our average player rating is 94.49, which is currently the third highest in America behind only Ohio State and Clemson. And almost all of our most highly rated targets are still out there. Like, honestly, guys, you think we're going to end, end this cycle with only seven commitments? obviously not so once those more highly rated targets that we're after start popping and our commitment numbers start to go up we're going to rapidly rise up the rankings and we're going to vault over tennessee zero questions asked no doubt about that Honestly, it's not a matter of if, it's it's just when. And it's happened like this basically every single year since Kirby's gotten here. Remember all the... I mean, we got so many questions on mailbags throughout the past couple years, all the hand over our summer rankings, only to see us catapult into the top two each of the past three years. So yes, Tennessee, good for them. They've had a nice little run over the past week, but you have to put it in the larger context of their entire recruiting class to date, which, oh, by the way is currently rated lower in average player rating than their class was last year. So they actually, believe it or not, recruited better last year when it was all said and done when they finished 7th in the SEC than they are right now. So again, you just got to put it in context. Now, the second part of that question, are they more of a threat moving forward than Florida? Uh, Man, I I don't know. I I would say it's, it's certainly possible. I just, I don't think I'm ready to go there quite yet. And let me explain why. I do think Jeremy Pruitt is like to me, honestly, indisputably a far more effective recruiter than Dan Mullen. Like that's not even a question to me. I don't even even argue that point. It's really not even close. Mullen is an absolute joke on the recruiting front. Uh, Pruitt, on the other hand, other hand, has been a, like he's been a really really good recruiter for a while. And, and I told you guys that when they hired him. Like he's gonna get players there, but the issue with him is he he's just a cancer to a program himself. And I think it's, in my opinion, it's only a matter of time until the wheels fall off with him at the helm, unless he does like some serious, serious maturing, which is possible. But everywhere else he's been, like that's basically been the deal. It's kind of, it's kind of a scorched earth deal with him. Uh, but the fact remains, he's a far better recruiter than Mullen, and, and he's built a far better recruiting staff at Tennessee than what Florida has. So from that perspective, you could say like, I can see an argument where you can say, "Oh yeah, like Tennessee, they're the bigger long term threat because they're going to get better players." but that, in my opinion, fails to account for the fact that Florida is just quite simply smack dab in the middle of one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in all of America, which is something that Tennessee simply cannot compete with. As Nashville continues to grow, I will say there are more players coming out of that that area than ever before, but still, as a whole, Tennessee is just a traditionally talent-poor state. They might have a guy here and there, they just don't have the quantity of high level players in that state that, like, say, we do in, in Georgia or uh, in Florida or even Texas or, or California. Like, like, teams like in those states have access to those players. And that's always been the case. Like, you go back to the 90s when, when Tennessee was on that, that run in the 90s, they did that because. We were down. Uh, Alabama was down for most of the ninety, at least the mid to late 90s. Uh, Clemson was not a factor. North Carolina isn't really ever a factor. And they were able to go into those states and just cherry pick the top players. Uh, well, okay, once Georgia and Alabama and Clemson got their collective acts together, that just wasn't happening for Tennessee anymore. And, and to me, that's a huge reason why that program has basically been irrelevant for about the past 20 to almost 25 years. now. They're pushing 25 years of basically national irrelevancy so yeah while I, while I do think that Pruitt is is clearly the, the superior recruiter the fact is it's just so much of an uphill climb for him to get those players he just doesn't have the built-in natural recruiting advantages that come with being located in, in a, just a really talent rich state like Florida is and as good of a recruiter as he is and he's really good he's just not going to consistently beat those in-state teams for their top talent not when the brand you have to sell has been irrelevant for nearly 25 years. That's just that's just the reality. I mean, he he will steal a guy here and there, um, like you know, like he did with Dylan Brooks from Alabama, the number one player in Alabama this year. But one guy here and there just isn't going to do it. Like Alabama is still going to get the majority of those guys. We are still going to get the majority of guys from Georgia that we want. Uh, and because of that, I find it exceptionally hard to believe. That Tennessee is really, I mean, ever going to be a dominant force in the conference? I, I'm not saying it can't ever happen once, where they like rise up once here and there and win the East one year with like the perfect combination of of timing. Like maybe we have a down year and they have the, uh, uh, they kind of cycle up. Like that's possible, but I, I don't see them being a consistent threat to win big long term. I um, mean, sure they can give us some tough games here and there, and, and they look they might even beat us once or twice. I mean, God forbid it's probably going to happen at some point. But they are so far behind us at this at the current point, and we are we just simply are not slowing down a bit under Kirby Smart for me to buy this idea that they are going to be able to surpass us. And, and I I don't think Florida can do it either with Dan Mullen because I mean Kirby just recruits circles around that man. It's just it's laughable at this point. I mean I I, I would say I feel bad for him, but I I just don't. Um, and, and so much of winning big is obviously about having better players. But as bad of a recruiter as Mullen is, when you compare Florida to Tennessee he's still going to land some really, really good players more consistently than I think Tennessee will just because of the in-state pool and Florida being such a fertile recruiting area. And Especially if you look at right now the situation, Florida State, Miami are down like they are. Florida is going to get a lot of those guys just by default. So I think Tennessee is going to improve their the level of their program. I just don't know if they're going to be a bigger threat than Florida. I'm not ready to say that yet. Now, give Let's see... Let's say Jamie Pruitt pull off you know two, three, four, five years in a row of of top five level classes, then we can talk again. But right now I just I'm not buying it quite yet.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm
0: Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is the deal. Each week, your heroes in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more
1: doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The
1: Deal on Spotify. All right. Our next question comes from John and it's about the offensive line. And he wants to know, will the offensive line improve under new leadership? he thinks it will after watching the passion on the sideline at the Sugar Bowl with coach Matt Luke and says that Matt Luke has a chip on his shoulder and is playing or coaching to prove something.
0: Yeah, like, I love Matt Luke. I think I mean we all saw his uh, his passion there on the sideline at the Sugar Bowl. Was, I think it's really good that especially now that we don't have spring practice that he was able to get on campus and start working with the team during the Sugar Bowl practices. Practices, I think that will ultimately end up being a a, a big factor, maybe I don't know, a huge factor, but certainly will help us Considering that we're not going to have spring practice, so I, but I, it's hard to say it's going to like our O line is going to improve when you have four starters that aren't returning. But I also don't think we're going to see a big drop off because yes, we are losing Isaiah Wilson, we lose Solomon Kinley, um, the guy that shall remain nameless who went to Tennessee and Dad lost his pinky and that whole deal. Uh, he's gone, and then you've also got. Uh, Andrew Thomas gone as well. But we we do have other guys with starting experience going back. Ben Cleveland has started many games in his career. You've got Trey Hill coming back. He's got a full year of starting under his belt at center. Justin Schaefer has, has some experience as well. I mean, he, remember, guys, he was the first guy off the bench in that Notre Dame game when, when Solomon Kinley went down, and he went down with himself with a with a neck injury. But he should be back full go. Jamari Sawyer now has, now has some starting experience, as, as does Warren Erickson. And we just have a number like, – we have been recruiting on well on the offensive line for years now. So we have a stockpile of highly rated recruits, uh, former recruits that are ready to now get their chance to take their turn. And so I'm very excited to see what it's going to look like. But I do have a hard time saying like right now without seeing these guys uh, in the in the finished product, like that we're going to be better. But I don't think there's going to be a huge drop off because we do have a lot of talent there. Um, and in fact, another reason I don't think we're going to see a ton of drop off this year is um if you look at it with, with some of the what, what I think are going to be have to be with Matt Luke and Tom Huffin coming in some uh dramatically improved blocking schemes and, and play con that does not require us to consistently run into boxes that outnumber our blockers I think our rushing numbers might actually improve without us maybe having as much talent um on the offensive line this year uh and having an athletic quarterback helps too but I don't know if I'm going to say that we're going to be better I mean, it's tough to lose two first-round uh, picks off the offensive line and be better. But again, at the same time, I don't think we're going to be worse or too much worse. I don't think there's going to be a massive drop-off. And again, I think the numbers might actually improve because we just run a functional offensive system and we have an athletic quarterback that can make up for some maybe some of those, I don't want to say deficiencies, but make up for us maybe not being quite as talented on the offensive line as we were this past year. But good question.
1: Okay. Question number four comes from Cliff. How much better will UGA's offensive line be compared to the Wake Forest offensive line protecting Jamie Newman in the past two to three years? Yes,
0: yeah, so I think we have a couple offensive line questions here today, which is awesome. Uh, usually it's more about a skill players, so love to give the big ugly some love here. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, obviously offensive line, even without the the NFL draft picks and those guys being gone, like it's going to be better than what Wake Forest had last year. Now, Wake Forest wasn't like a train wreck with their offensive line. They just weren't to our caliber. I mean, If you look at uh, Wake Forest last year, some of these advanced stats from football outsiders, uh, Wake Forest was 55th nationally in line yards, so top third, uh, 28th in rate. They did a good job protecting the quarterback. I think a, a big part of that, though, is the fact that Jamie Newman was a more mobile, athletic quarterback. They were only 122, 122nd nationally in opportunity rate, uh, whereas last year we were 26th nationally in line yards, 14th in opportunity rate, and 17th in sack rate. And again, I... I don't see much of a drop off this year, so I, I definitely think that Jamie Newman is going to have a much better offensive line to work with. I think so. I think he'll benefit from that. But I also think our offensive line will benefit from the fact that we're going to have an athletic quarterback at the helm that will make their lives a little bit more—I uh, don't say easy—but you know, if, if you have a guy that beats you on an inside pass rush move, now you have a quarterback who doesn't just get stuck in the pocket, actually can escape the pocket, and still make plays happen. And the end result is very positive. So. Uh, yeah, I think he's gonna have a better offensive line, and but I don't want to trash away force offensive line. They were pretty, they were solid by their standards last year, just certainly not to our level.
1: Okay, Robbie wants to know if Big Ben Cleveland can be a potential first round pick in twenty twenty one, citing the kid is a beast.
0: Yeah, Big Ben is a beast. We know that he's he's a, he is an absolute beast. Um, and he's a good player, man. I, I really actually I th- and I told you guys this in the middle of, all throughout last year. I thought he was playing better than Cade Mays. I didn't quite understand why Cade Mays was Consistently playing, and they were kind of in a rotation. But Kade was getting the uh, majority of those snaps, and I didn't quite get because I, I thought Mays was especially as the season went on, I thought he got whipped more and more, just whipping on guys at times. I, I part of me wonders if he knew by that time, like his brother had already committed to Tennessee and he had had in his mind that he was going to go to Tennessee and he was kind of just finishing out the year. Like, I don't know if he lost some of his passion or maybe he just wasn't as good as we thought we were, he was, but I mean, he certainly. Did not play at a high level the second half of last year, no doubt about it. I thought Ben should have been there a lot more than he was. Um, but he, Ben is a good player, and he really excels at getting movement. We know he's just a freaking big hulk of a physical specimen. Um, and I think he's going to blow up the NFL Combine if he does get an invite. Uh, he's going to put up massive numbers. He, he might, Hell, he might break the bench press record. I mean, that guy's just a beast. But for all the things he does well, there are some deficiencies in his game, and maybe some, one of the reasons he hasn't quite lived up to some of the expectations that were there for him when he came out of high school, um, he, he's not the most flexible guy in the world at that position, um, and he does have footwork issues at times that, that have held him back. Um, he actually moves really well to straight line for a guy that size. Like he has pretty good speed for a guy that's you know six foot five ish, three hundred and forty ish pounds. But um, his feet kind of get stuck in concrete sometimes in pass protection, and he also has he sometimes has trouble passing off and picking up stunts, those kind of things. Uh, and those are things I think that can be improved to some degree with a little better coaching. And I think Sam Pittman was a great coach, a really, really good recruiter. Um, but I, I, I do think there are some things that, like, I don't want to say that Sam Pittman did not coach well, but I think there's some areas where maybe Matt Luke might be able to have a positive impact on the offensive line. He also wants guys to slim up a little bit, be able to move a little bit better, change some of the blocking teams, which might actually benefit Ben. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Ben's a really good player. I just don't know if he's a first-round guy. I, now, I can, I'm certainly willing to revisit this question, midway through the 2020 season, if we have one, uh, if we get, as we can see him as a starter and get a little bit more uh, of tape out there. But what I've seen from him to this point, I think he, I think he would definitely get drafted. I just don't see him as a first-round draft pick unless he improves some of the footwork issues that we've seen from him um, his first couple of years here in Athens.
1: Okay. Our next question comes from Lynn out of South Carolina. Lynn says, I'm super sensitive to Clemson folks. Dabo and company had nine practices – and I think I read that Muschamp and the Gamecocks got in about five to six. Um, how much of an advantage do you think this has over teams like Georgia that did not get in any spring practices prior to the shutdown?
0: I think you, uh, is Lynn your mother? Uh, because I know your parents live in South Carolina. You've actually had some really bad experiences. My with, mom
1: does not listen to this
0: show. I, I'm not saying, I know that. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously kidding. But well, you've had some very bad experiences, as Lynn says, like she's super sensitive to the Clemson folks. She had a really bad experience. We went to Clemson, what was it, two thousand and thirteen? And I don't remember. Yeah, no,
1: we, it's not a place I would choose to go again.
0: You do you remember that story you told me?
1: I mean, they were shaking our cars when we left. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, and and I know you. I know you hate South Carolina fans. I know that. Yeah. You, I know, like you. I know. I and I'm with you, and I are both mm-hmm. on the same boat. I think those are the well. I don't know, I'll just. say, I think those are the trashiest fans in all the SEC, and okay, they're okay. Well,
1: we don't have to be that. mean. Uh, no, again, I don't want. I don't.
0: I, I don't want to say all of them, but they have. There's every fan base has an element of that. In their fan base, they all do in the southeast. It's just part of the deal. But some fan base in the southeast have more of an element of that than others. And I think South Carolina, in my experience, going there many, many times, has more of that element. And we just, maybe it's just our experience. We've had some bad experiences there. But anyway, uh, I feel your pain, Lynn. It sucks. I know. Uh, so what do you think this? All right, translates into advantage over us. I do. I, I think this is an advantage. There's no doubt about it. I don't. There's not too many teams in the SEC that got in a ton of spring practices. I know, yeah, South Carolina did get in a couple, which, I mean, that doesn't help us. Dabo and company got in the majority of theirs. Um, so any team that got in some of those practices, yeah, absolutely, that is going to help them out. Now, I don't know, like, if they're, what it's going to look like when we start this, if we get players back on campus, we start working out and, and we get into a fall camp and maybe the NCAA is going to give, and conferences are going to give teams extended an extended fall camp, to make up for and compensate for not having spring practice so maybe those teams that got in a certain number of practice maybe they don't get as many practices leading up to the season maybe they only get a, a regular fall camp so maybe it's some sort of sliding scale there where based on how many practices you did or did not get in for the spring you get to add those practices on to your uh normal fall camp maybe it's something like that now if they did that i think that would be very fair and a great way to do it um but i don't know if they're gonna i haven't really heard any conversation about them doing that's just me just Spitting something out here you know, on a, a way to maybe handle that situation and maybe level the playing field a little bit. But I do think it's an advantage because, you, know, I mean, you can have virtual meetings on Zoom and all that kind of stuff. But like that only goes so far. There's really no replacement for actual on-field reps. I mean, you can you can meet all day. And meetings are great, uh, but in-person meetings are better than virtual meetings. But you got to get those reps. Like it's just no replacing those reps. So yeah, I think it is an advantage for any team that was able to get in any number of practices. Um, and I, I hope that they find a way to kind of comp- compensate teams that did not get in any practices in the spring. I don't know if they will, but it'd be nice because I do think that certainly gives those other teams an advantage for sure.
1: All right, Kevin wants to know how excited we should be about the Elijah Judy commitment.
0: Oh, I'm really pumped about Elijah Judy. Um, he is a, uh, and he's not a five star guy. A lot of people only get excited for five star guys. I think Elijah Judy is a really, really good player. I think he's underrated right now. He's rated, And he's not rated low. I mean, he's rated 167 nationally. He's a, he's a solid four-star prospect. But looking at the dude, I, I think when it's all said and done, and I think not being able to go to camps and maybe not having All-American games, and we'll see how that plays out, that might end up hurting him. I, it's very, I'm going to be very curious to see how the rankings play out this year because we don't have the camps to go on. They're just kind of watching tape and that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that plays out and, and if there's going to be much movement in the rankings at all. But Elijah Judy, I think is, like, honestly, I think he's a top seventy, a top fifty to top seventy-five caliber player in America. I'm not ready to say he's a five-star, surefire, can't miss kind of guy, but I, I think he's much better than number one, sixty-seven, nationally. He's so if you, if you haven't seen his tape, pull up and watch it on Huddle, guys. 6'3", 245 pounds, very explosive for a guy that size. He and one thing I also love, and, I, and this is one of the, the key things I look for when you're looking at pass rushers and kind of evaluating where they might project. How well do they bend the edge? And he bends the edge extraordinarily well for a guy that size, especially as a junior in high school. So I love the explosiveness. I love how he uses his hands. I love how he bends the edge. I think he can polish his game a little bit in terms of his rush defense, but that's typically the case for most of these guys coming out of high school. And I think that's something that we can certainly work on. But he has all the physical tools he needs to be a really, really good pass rusher for. So I'm really excited about him. He's a guy that I think can absolutely... Anchor gets the run as well. He's got the, the frame the size. He needs to polish up that game. I think we can get him, get him here to Athens and we can clean that stuff up real quick. But he has the tools to be a really good player for us. So I think absolutely, I'm very excited. And I, I think other people should also be excited about Elijah Jude, even though he might not be a, right now, ranked inside the top 50 or five-star guy. I think he's gonna be a really, really good player for us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. All right. This next question takes us into basketball. Why do you think Rayshon Hammonds decided to stay in the NBA draft? Matthew oh, says he has no chance of getting drafted. Oh. What does this mean for the basketball team next year with the top two scorers from the team gone?
0: Rayshon, Rayshon, Rayshon. God bless you, son. Oh God, I, I wish the absolute best for Rayshon. Uh, I agree, Matthew. Uh, I think it's tough to imagine Hammonds is going to get drafted based off based off what we saw from him last year. I'll say that um, but still, I think you have to consider that he was playing out of position, uh, and I think that's, like, asking, like, I had a couple people ask me this, actually, and, and Curtis, you know, he texted me when he saw this, like, why is Rayshon Hammond staying in the NBA draft? I was like, I think all of us, most of us, myself included, thought, like, when he put his name in the NBA draft, thought it was kind of an exploratory thing, and he ended up coming back to school, kind of like Yante Mayton did, but, um, no, he's actually staying in the draft, and I, so I had to stop and think, like, why, why, what is this guy doing, like, Based off what we saw from him last year, like he is not gonna get drafted. But I think a big reason why he did stay in the draft is because he was playing out of position last year. Like he was he was playing the four and five most of the year, uh power forward or center, and, and that and those positions don't really feature his skill set or allow him to grow and develop and, and kind of doing the things that he would be asked to do in the NBA because let's be real, he's not gonna play a four or five in the NBA. He's a wing, he's a three in the NBA. And, and a lot of us, again, myself included, like we criticized his defense. And I criticized him all last year for his defense. Uh, but we did that without taking into account the fact that he like, he was, again, playing out of position. Like That was not a natural position for him. And, and the other factor here, if you think about why he decided to stay in the draft is, I mean, look, guys, some of these guys just don't want to go to school anymore. They just don't. Um, so if to him, it's like, hey, if I, can get, if I have a chance to get drafted and make some money anywhere then, hey, let's do it. Uh, Because even if he doesn't get drafted, he can go overseas. There's so many markets overseas. And he can make a solid amount of money. He can have a nice career playing the sport he loves. So I think it's a combination of all those factors. Uh, And and here, I will also say this. Like, if I didn't say right now, is he going to get drafted? I would say no. But I wouldn't completely discount the idea of him maybe sliding into the very, very late second round. Because, and I say that, I know it sounds crazy, but he does have some translatable offensive skills. He can shoot the three. We know that. He's shown the ability to put the ball on the floor and finish around the room. He can do that. He's an athletic guy. Um, now, I, I do have questions about his his ability to be a 3 and D type wing, which is kind of what teams are looking for. Uh, if you're not a superstar, uh, then to play the wing, you need to be a 3 and D type guy, kind of like KCP for the Lakers. Um, and I have questions about his ability to be that kind of guy because the D part is lacking. Uh, but again, he's athletic enough to do it. He was just playing out of position, and, and, and the fact—let's be real—he got lazy on defense at times, like he absolutely did. Um, but if money is the motivation for a lot of these guys, it is. Then maybe he plays harder and more consistent on the defensive end. Uh, and if he does that, then like, hey, you he might have like a, a a prayer to get drafted late in the second round because uh, he he's got the offensive game, he, he's got that size athleticism combination to be a good player. He's he's raw still. And he's gonna be a, he'd be a project. He might spend some time in the, in the D league. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna kill the guy if he thinks it's the best move for him. And Tom Crean is in an interview said that he was a really confident decision. Then I wish him the absolute best. I I was if I was him, I probably wouldn't go. But we don't know the situation these guys are in and and kind of what's going on in their lives. So all I'm gonna say is I I wish him the absolute best, and I hope he has some good workouts. If they even get a chance to have workouts, which might also hurt him too. But um, hopefully, he finds a way to slide in the late second round. If not, maybe. Uh, pick on the D-League or find somewhere overseas a good landing spot and, and make a career for himself.
1: Alright, last question. Last one. Do you Andrew wants to know, do you think viewership for less popular sports like soccer, tennis, and so on will rise due to the fact that everyone has had sports cut off for so long now?
0: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question, Andrew. I, I like this. Um, so let me ask you. So You hate baseball. <laughs> I'm not a big baseball fan anymore. Um, you, there's been no live sports. If the Braves, uh, no, start, I will not. You, you want to start watching? Okay, nope. would you start watching um, golf more golf if um, it was on? So Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are doing this thing. Are you going to watch that? Because there's no other sports on. Are you no, more likely to watch golf that? golf
1: usually comes on during the day, so I would rather be outside doing something. You can record, and it. I don't feel like golf is like a sport I would want to record. Like I can yeah. probably find something on Netflix that's better. Go,
0: what is golf is the Prime sport to record because you like. There's so much downtime in golf that doesn't matter. You can fast forward through all that. I
1: don't mind golf. It's just not. No, I probably no. I'm not gonna watch it. Tennis? Yeah, absolutely. But you already like tennis. I do.
0: But you don't. But, but you like college tennis. But you don't. You don't watch a ton of pro tennis. Are you more likely to watch pro tennis now? If it started, they started to play right now.
1: I don't know. Maybe.
0: NASCAR? I know, I know you're Heck huge yeah. in the NASCAR. No, no, I don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand? don't understand? Don't offend people, okay? I don't understand. Nice.
1: No, I don't understand it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, what do you? They go. It's a car. And you drive in a circle. What do you not understand? Just don't. Understand. So you don't understand why it's entertaining? That's what you're trying. You're trying to be nice, but that's what you're saying. Anyway, Andrew, great question. Um, I think Charlie aside here, notwithstanding, I I think there's a good case to make. Yeah, I think some that might happen. Like, uh, and i've made it clear i'm a college sports guy all the way um let's use baseball as an example i uh i grew up a huge baseball fan i played baseball uh all my childhood going into high school i quit playing in high school because i want to focus on football full time and uh because that was my first love but i love baseball i played child ball the whole nine yards my parents god bless them spent a lot of money on me being able to do that and i'm so thankful for that lessons hitting lessons pitching lessons travel ball all that stuff travel everywhere Lot of, and I had so much fun doing it and I and I used to be a huge Braves fan growing up. I never missed a game, man. Like I would get in fights with my dad so I could stay up late and finish the Braves game, especially when on the West Coast and you know on a road trip or something like that. But as time as I stopped playing baseball and I've gotten older, like I just I'm not interested in baseball anymore. Cause like to me, even when I liked the Braves, baseball was never a sport for me. Where it's like, okay, uh, the Cubs are playing the Reds. I'm really excited about that. Let me watch that game. Like, it had no interest in me. I liked watching the Braves. I was a Braves fan. Um, and I, I'm still kind of that way. Now that I, and I honestly, I haven't watched a full Braves game in probably, oh God, a decade. I mean, I, I've, I might've, I've seen bits and pieces. Any Braves game I've seen over the past decade has been at a bar or a restaurant. That, that's just, or at my parents' house or something. I have not sat down in my house for a second and watched uh, a full Braves game. It just, it just hasn't happened. I'm, and I used to go to Braves games all the time. Haven't been in a long time. But whatever. I guess my point is, um, I haven't watched baseball in a long time, but if baseball comes back here in let's say, June or July at some point, and it's the only live sport on, you know what? I might actually start watching the Braves again. And who knows? Maybe that'll rekindle my, my childhood love for baseball and the Braves, and I'll start watching them a lot more uh, and moving forward. And so maybe baseball could be a – if they can come back – I think it's big for baseball. If they can come back, I think they can – because they've lost market share to football and the NBA for years now. It's not the national pastime anymore. But if they can come back and they're the only sport on – then absolutely that I think people that don't normally watch baseball might actually give it a chance and maybe they could get hooked on it and become baseball fans and start watching and find a team. I mean, I, I certainly think that's a possibility. Um, so yeah, I, I, it wouldn't shock me at all. Tennis is another one. If they can come back, um, soccer, I know some of the European leagues are talking about coming back now and that's already growing in popularity. So maybe that's some more people in America get hooked on that and are and kind of buy into that, give it a chance and. And uh, they become fans. So I think certainly that's yeah, possible. I, I wouldn't discount that at all. It'll be actually something kinda something kind of interesting to, to watch and see how that plays out over the next couple of months. But really cool question, Andrew. I appreciate that. But uh, that's it, right? That's it? That's it. Alright, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UJ podcast. Really appreciate you guys. Second time out of your days. Awesome to have Charlie back on board. And we'll be back with you guys later next week. Curtis should be back next week. And uh, we have a lot of great stuff planned for you guys all the way through the rest of the summer. And uh, we'll be uh, making sure to keep you guys up to date with all the things that are going on in the world of Georgia sports. So make sure to check back in with us. Thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, Go Dawgs!